Welcome. You're listening to Back Talk Doc, where you'll find answers to some of the most common questions about back pain and spine health. Brought to you by Carolina Neurosurgery and Spine Associates, where cutting-edge, nationally recognized care is delivered through a compassionate approach. This podcast is for informational purposes only and not intended to be used as personalized medical advice. And now, it's time to understand the cause of back pain and learn about options to get you back on track. Here's your Back Talk Doc, Dr. Sanjeev Lakia. All right, hello. Good afternoon. Welcome to a very special 74th episode Back Talk Doc podcast. For those of you joining us out there on Facebook and Instagram and who don't know who we are, again, my name is Sanjeev Lakia, and I've been helping run this podcast for over four years for Carolina Neurosurgery and Spine Associates. Today is a very special episode where we are going to, of course, be posting this to iTunes, but we're broadcasting live. We think it's a great topic and want to get some real genuine uh, feedback from those of you who are listening. So thanks for tuning in. And I want to welcome my friend and colleague, Dr. Joe Cheadle. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Sanjeev. I'm glad to be here. I bet you didn't realize almost four years to the day, you and I sat down and we recorded the third episode of Back Talk Doc, which was a discussion about lumbar stenosis. And to this day, it remains the most popular downloaded episode. So congratulations to you. Thanks, man. I do point that out a lot, actually. And of course, we're here in November of 2023, coming up on Thanksgiving, and I want to start the episode by giving a lot of thanks and gratitude to all those people out there who have downloaded our podcast, uh, shared it with friends and family. Our mission here has been to really just spread good information, spread the word about the spine care and the treatment options, and it's really exceeded our expectations. So from me and all of my partners to all of you out there who are following the podcast, we want to say thanks. And again, if you haven't subscribed, give us a like, give us a five-star review on iTunes, and most importantly, share it with family and friends. It's just been a real delight to be able to offer this content to you. Our last episode, if you haven't had a chance to listen to it, um, I recorded it with Lindsay Howard, one of our PAs, and we kind of shifted gears into more of a testimonial where she talked about her challenges with scoliosis growing up and how it impacted her decision to become a physician assistant. And today we're going to keep with that theme. As you guys don't know out there, but we work together in the office and uh, we're very, very close and we treat patients collaboratively. So we're able to also watch our own personal lives unfold. Yeah. And uh, guess what, folks? Uh, Physicians, we're people too. We are human (laughs) beings and we have our own challenges personally, health-wise and otherwise. And today's topic is I want to thank Dr. Cheadle for being willing to sit in the hot seat and we're going to talk about his own challenges with his low back that he went through. Uh, really, it's been over the last year, year. plus, Almost right? exactly a year now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Before we dive into that, your own story, introduce yourself again to those who aren't familiar with who you are. Tell them kind of where you trained, where you work, what you do. So I'm one of the neurosurgeons here at Carolina Neurosurgery and Spine Associates. Um, I've been here now four years, which mm-hmm. is crazy. I trained in Nebraska, which, hey, Panthers coaches in Nebraska now, and we won our game there last go. week, there so I'm go. feeling good about that. But I'm a, a general neurosurgery, uh, do both brain, spine, and peripheral nerve here, um, and we uh, treat kind of just generalized neurosurgery down here, mostly in, in Rock Hill in the South Charlotte region. That's me. Yeah, and you are one of the busiest surgeons in our practice, one of the most loved and well-respected, and I think it's uh, been a real privilege to be able to work side-by-side with you. 
but it's also been real enlightening to see how you've had to deal with your own challenges. So, uh, folks, we are doing this. This is our first go live here, so <laughs> hang in there with us. I would also say there is an ability to put, post your questions and comments as they come up, and uh, we'll get to those as they come in or towards the end. Start from the beginning, Joe. Like, I remember you were in a lot of discomfort. Why don't you walk people through the beginning of your journey dealing with your own back? Doing this, right? I mean, I've done this now for almost 15 years between training and going through residency, which you, you know, you work terrible long hours. And then as an attending, which you work terribly long, more hours. And so I figured that if I ever had something like this happen, I'd be able to diagnose it really easy. And it was really hard to diagnose this. It was really, it was a really big challenge. So I first got hurt. It was right after Christmas and we were at this little ski trip up in West Virginia. And I was on the side of the mountain and my small child um, was coming down behind us. And then a guy lost control and just completely smashed into me. And I went flying. Mm. I'm sure it was really funny for everyone else to see, but it was pretty uncomfortable. I said a few things that I shouldn't say in front of my children and was a little bit frustrated, but I got up, kind of went on during the day, hurt a little bit in the back, but not bad. And just kind of started and didn't think much of it. We came back the next day and, you know, I was stiff, but we were in the car for six hours driving on those curvy roads and didn't think much of it. And then kind of really, honestly, to be overly personal, my butt hurt. I was like, wow, gosh, I mean, what happened? And I was really working out at the time and I was really trying to kind of gain muscle mass. And so it didn't work much, but it was something that I was really into. And, and I was like, well, maybe I kind of just overdid it and maybe thought I had like an ischial tuberosity kind of tear or did I brew something? Maybe I fell down weird. And so for the next couple of weeks, I just kind of was like, ah, my butt hurts a little bit. No big deal. Kind of backed off a little bit, but not a ton and just kind of limped through. And then it just kind of progressively got worse and worse. And it was really kind of centered low back down the leg a little bit, but not in a true ridiculous pattern. And so I've always been kind of that practitioner that looks back and is like, hey, pieces don't fit. Let's keep looking at things and kind of mm -hmm. understand. And you know that you've been yep. in that situation where you're like, it kind of seems like this, but it's not perfect. Let's kind of look at things a little bit more. But for myself, I kind of was like, oh, it's definitely not a lumbar radic. I know for sure it's not my back. It can't be because can't be. Yeah. I didn't want it to be, right? Like denial is just that thing. Well, look, I'll interject here. A couple of things that y'all need to understand about docs. First of all, when we have any symptoms, we know too much. <laughs> so sometimes we'll think the worst. And my wife will often be like, no, it's not that you just pulled a muscle or it's just a cold. So there's that that we'll deal with. And then the flip side of that is what you just said, when you know something ain't right, sometimes, at least for me, I'll go into a little denial mode. Yes. And then also, I've talked about this before, when you're a spine physician, spine surgeon, having a spine problem, for me, sometimes it feels a little shameful. Like I'm not supposed to be that guy. Like I'm the expert. I run the podcast. I do these things and I hurt my back. I don't know. Did you have any sense of that as well when you started to realize that was going on? hundred thousand percent. <laughs> in fact, I actually pulled over one of our other physiatrists one day in clinic because I was just miserable. Even like getting out of the car, I looked like I was 90. I mean, mm -hmm. I would limp and I pulled him over and I went and shot x-rays on myself and I looked at the x-rays and I knew that there was discogenic changes at L5S1, which I mean, not to divulge too much of, you know, foreshadowing here, but 
I had a disc herniation L5S1. And I looked at it and I was like, oh, it looks fine. And Vermurray was like, dude, you got some changes there. And it looks like it's a little bit eccentric to the left. And I was like, no, no, it looks fine. It looks totally fine. Don't save those pictures, I said then to the radiology tech. And she's like, what? And I'm like, you don't need to save them. She kind of looked at me and I just didn't want to admit that right. something was wrong. You know what I mean? So this is where I think the transition began for you. Oh my gosh, I'm a patient. Yes. Right. Talk about from a patient side, from a, you're a dad, mm-hmm. right? You're very active in your social community or church community. Yep. Just as a person who's realizing you're dealing with a pretty serious back injury, what were some of the emotions that you felt initially? Humility, mm-hmm. right? And so, and that's the hardest part about being neurosurgery, I think, and this is my junior resident or my senior resident when I was a junior resident said this is neurosurgery is the most humbling career on the planet, right? Because even if you are at the top of your game, it's still impossible to be perfect. You just can't because it's neurosurgery, right? Like it's just, you do the best brain tumor in the whole world, but it's still a brain tumor, right? Like you're, you don't win every time, you right? So to yeah. speak, but you just got a different humility because not only is it kind of depersonalized, it's uber personalized, right? It's you. You can't be like, well, it's okay. You know, you did the best you could. I mean, it's you, it's this different, right? And it was different in the fact that I thought of every patient, like all at once, right? And I'm like, man, I know exactly what they're going through. And it's different to be in that spot, right? It made you so much more compassionate, even though I feel like I'm a pretty compassionate person at baseline, like literally every patient after that, I was like, I know exactly what you feel bro, it's terrible. It sucks, right? No, for sure. One of the purposes of sitting down and talking with you that I was hoping is for those of you guys following, I want y'all to understand some of the lessons that you can learn going through an injury. And then also though, just kind of how did an expert like Dr. Cheadle handle it? So what were some of your initial strategies to start to work with the pain? And what was your thought process on how you're going to get this treated? So to be honest, I treated it just like everybody else. I knew exactly. I was like, well, I know what to do. This is easy. Like the answer from where to go from here is easy. So I went to go see our physical therapy department. Okay. Um, Jay at Ballantyne is where I was that day. And I walked upstairs and found Jay. He's spectacular, by the way. Not that any of our therapists aren't amazing. And he sat down with me. He did an exam on me, like a really good thorough exam, right? Because I had been kind of doing this on the side, which mm-hmm. is totally inappropriate. And he did all the stuff that you're supposed to do, right? And I quit treating myself. I asked other people to ask start for doing help. things, right? Yeah, and so, because before that, I was doing my own thing, right? I was like, I send in the Medrol dose pack for myself and stuff that you're not supposed to do, right? I mean, it's not illegal, but you're not yeah. supposed to do that, right? You should be a patient, not a doctor for yourself. And so Jay did an exam. I was like, yeah, dude, I think you have a lumbar radic. And then I got an MRI scheduled. I did therapy, got an MRI and then I came to you, yeah. right? I said, Sanjeev, I need help, man. Like, there's right. something going on. If you guys haven't heard Jay Marugavel's podcast that I recorded with him, he's one of our phenomenal physical therapists. And we did a collaborative with him and Emily Tucker about thoracic outlet syndrome. Another shameless plug. Uh, he mentioned Dr. Vermurray, and I did a recording with him on neck pain. And we'll put links to all this in the show notes. But so what you outlined is, the conservative care pathway. And at Carolina Neurosurgery, we have a huge staff of physiatrists and physical therapists. And I think a take-home point here is most of these acute disc issues can be treated and improved without surgery. 
And at a minimum, that's typically what's attempted up front before you go the surgical route. So when you came to see me, and I could really tell in the office that you were just gutting it out. A lot of pain, but you were still working through it. And I was just saying, how can I help him? You know, he's my brother, he's my partner. What can we do? And all the options are on the table. You knew them. If I remember, we tried a little bit of Battlefield acupuncture. Yeah. As a side note, that stuff's amazing. And the funny thing is I didn't tell my wife, right? So I went home, you know, you leave little needles in there. Mm -hmm. And she's like, did you get a piercing? And I was like, no, I got acupuncture. She's like, why? And I wasn't honest at home either. To be honest with you, I was trying to gut it out, as you said. So I wouldn't complain as much. When I got out of the car, everyone noticed because I would just stand there and it couldn't move. But I wasn't at home telling my wife and kids, man, I'm miserable. I'd be like, I'm just going to go lay down for a little while, which is very unusual for me, by the way. In the office, I could tell because you were quiet. Yeah. You were doing your work. I mean, you weren't visit. No one could really tell, but I know you and you were quiet. I could tell you were suffering. Um, The battlefield acupuncture, Hannah, we're getting a lot of posts and questions that we can't see. So let us know if there's something that really needs to be jumped on. But battlefield acupuncture, he referred to a few things. That's the technique where I utilize some very small, they're almost like earring studs or ear needles. It's a form of acupuncture for acute pain control. And we put the needles in certain spots. We leave them in for anywhere from 24 hours up to a week. And it really can help shut that down. And if you want to learn more, I did interview kind of one of the founding fathers on battlefield acupuncture, John Howard, and we'll link to that one in the show notes as well. So we did that of your work in your physical therapy. We looked at your MRI. And I think the first decision that you had to make that I'm just curious to, I'm really curious to hear your thoughts because you're a surgeon. When we looked at your MRI, you basically said, I don't want surgery. Yes. So I found that to be a little bit hilarious Sometimes if you're a hammer, everything's a nail. We've heard that before. But you looked at the MRI and you said to me and yourself, I don't want to have surgery if I can avoid it. So I want you to tell the people out there what was behind that line of thinking. To be completely honest is I think when you're in pain, you jump immediately to like, how can I get better right now? Like Mm -hmm. the first thing is like, what can get me better? And I know a discectomy would get me better. Like no doubt in my mind, a discectomy would get me better. But I knew it were me sitting there talking to you, which I've done before. Mm -hmm. I'd be like, don't do surgery. You need to do all the conservative therapy first because we know that that works. It's not there because people are like, hey, let's torture you for an extra six months. (laughs) We know that most people get better with conservative therapy. And I could have easily gone to one of my partners and be like, bro, I need surgery. And they're like, hey, we need to keep you productive. Let's get you on surgery. Let's get it done tomorrow. And I could have just done it, right? Like, yeah. And just got it done, right? I mean, I felt like that took a lot of courage as a surgeon to kind of practice what you preach. Right. In terms of getting patients to go down the conservative care pathway. And it's not necessarily, in my opinion, as I do this longer, I don't look at things as right or wrong anymore. I just kind of ask myself, what's the next best thing for the person in front of me? I mean, you and I know the treatment algorithms. We know all the great treatments. are. We have phenomenal surgeons. I mean, we have some younger surgeons. Even Vince Rossi just gave a great talk recently on artificial discs. I mean, there's some phenomenal spinal surgical technologies that are emerging. But at the same time, we also know that the data shows a majority of people, if they don't have a serious neurologic deficit, can do pretty well with non-operative care. 
So I would not have faulted you, Joe, to be like, <laughs> I'm calling up Mark Smith. I'm getting this done on Saturday and I'm going to be back to work on Friday and this problem is going to be behind me. I mean, that's certainly you could justify that if you wanted to go that route, but we didn't. Uh, and then we went through, you went through a couple of injections in the yeah. back. Yeah. Again, those are probably your first spinal injections, right? Oh, by far. By far. Yeah. yeah. So what was it like to be on that side of the needle? Terrifying. I was terrified. I mean, we're friends, right? Yeah, like, absolutely. There's no doubt, right? And so I know things can happen, right? And the risk of that is I'm more at risk of getting a car accident on my way to work than I am at risk for an injection. I know that, especially how I drive. But so the long story short is this. I mean, I knew that the risks were super low. I'm a pretty healthy person. I don't have any bleeding discourages. No big deal. But I was scared. I mean, I was cold sweat. Like, my hands were freezing. You know, when you get that, it was terrifying. Yet, I was really good at being like, oh, yeah, I'm fine. And Krista, our MA, was like, she's like, hey, how are you doing? I'm like, I'm doing great. Then she tested my blood pressure. And I'm like, 165 <laughs> over like 92, which I live at like 110, right? Yeah. This was before I put the needle in, folks. Yeah, okay, yeah, I didn't a, cause that. Yeah, and so the funny thing was, is they hook you get put on a, a pulse ox. I look at my pulse when I'm doing these things, and I'm like, "Don't go above 16. Do not go above 60." And the funny thing is, you commented afterwards because you're doing the injection, the first one. So I ended up having two injections, and so the first one, and you were like, "Your heart rate didn't go above 60." I'm nope. like, "I know," and I would just want to be like, because I was willing it to not go above 60, but in my mind. I'm going a thousand miles a minute. It was great. Like I maybe a second of a twinge of pain and I felt nothing. I was like, this is awesome. Well, for my integrative friends out there, you'll appreciate that I was doing a little bit of my four, seven, eight breath work before he came <laughs> in the room. That's four seconds of deep inhalation. You hold the breath for seven. You breathe out for eight. It shifts you into a more parasympathetic state. I was like, get relaxed. You've done a million of these. He's no offense, he's just another patient. That's what I had to tell myself. And, you know, the procedure went great, obviously. Do you think it was helpful in retrospect? Oh, for sure. The second one especially. So the first one helped. It didn't help that much. But then we did a second injection. About a month, I think it was later. Yeah. That wasn't as easy because for some reason you kept getting into like a perineural vein. Mm -hmm. And I'm sitting there staring at the screen and I know what I'm looking at. Yeah. And the funny thing is Sanjeev is sitting there and he's like, okay, so now we're going to go and look at the S1. I'm like, yeah, I know. But it was super relaxing, right? And I'm sitting yes. there and I'm like, oh yeah, for sure. And we're good. And then just relaxed. It's all good. And then afterwards you feel it down your leg a little bit. Not bad. A couple of days later, I was like, I'm better. Now I'm not perfect. I wasn't perfect immediately, but I was like, I'm better. Improvement. And, and then it just kind of slowly, and it wasn't one of the things where I have, like, I'll have patients to be like, I was 100% better the next day. And I was like, wow, I'm jealous. But then I was like, each week I was like, hey, I can sit in my car now. You know what I mean? Right. And then I'm like, hey, I can get out of my car without hurting. Like, it was, so, it was definitely improvement. Dr. Cheadle had a condition where the nerve was pinched from the lowest disc. It was contacted. And that nerve, when it's flared, goes right down the buttock, back of the leg, into the calf, and sometimes the foot. Yeah. So I know a lot of you out there can relate to that. And it can make you feel like your buttock is going to explode or you have a constant cramp in your calf when you stand or walk. So the first step to healing from that is trying to get those symptoms out of the leg and centralized into the hip and back. Because then you can walk and move and start to exercise some. So that was a big hurdle that you overcame. You brought to me, I don't know if you remember this, but you printed off and brought to me an, a research article on the natural history of disc herniations. 
to kind of support that, hey, this is going to get better. Yeah. Share with people, if you can recall what that article was a little bit. Do you remember that? Yeah, I do. Oh, for sure I do. And so it was a it's actually pretty new. Like it was, it was. funny how it's it came the out press. at the same time. Yeah. off the press. And it, it was looking at disc morphology and the, the potential for improvement. And with acute disc herniations, I think it was like 74 or 76 mm-hmm. percent or 70, 70 something percent um, actually yeah. get better on their own with conservative therapy. And they actually, if you repeat the MRI at a year later, that their disc herniation is appreciably and statistically significantly smaller than it was at that time. And that, again, the, the big thing was it was it had to be an acute disc herniation, right? Yes. So yeah. if you have somebody, and those are more common in, in kind of middle-aged people than like, you know, like the most elderly of our patients, um, although they can happen to them too, but these kind of either young 20s, 30s, or middle-aged 40s and 50s who have these acute disc herniations oftentimes get better without surgery. And they're sometimes the ones that we kind of rush to surgery because they're at that age where we're like, hey, we got to get them kind of better faster. They don't have the patience to kind of get through that conservative therapy. I've had this conversation with some of my physician colleagues who have come to me after I've had this. I'm like, bro, no, no, no. We're doing an injection. And they're like, but I'm like, no, no, no. I'm not giving you the paper. Like I'll hand that paper out to them and they're like, Ooh, ooh." and they get better. And then I'm like, I told you, you know what I mean? So it came out just to kind of reassure me at that time, which was super convenient. So that was a sign for you. Now start to walk people through. You're starting to feel better. Not perfect. What was your approach to reintegration into your active lifestyle? You're super active. Like I know before this, you had a trainer, you're really into running, weightlifting. How did you approach the let's get myself back to where I was without having a setback. I had to lean on Jay again. I talked to our physical therapist again, went back up there for a couple more sessions. He gave me exercises to start, right? Like bird dogs, you know, use the exercise ball and, and just started all that stuff again and just slowly increased it. And then started to get back to, I would start first start with walking, right? So I went on, would I go for a run Instead of the run, I'd go on a good long walk and I'd try to increase the pace until I could jog a little bit. And then I would, right, so there's no definition of jogging versus running. If you try to look it up, it's not real. But I would do for me was a slow run. There is a definition. If I'm doing it, it's definitely (laughs) jogging. The running days are over. But the other thing that I did too was I started getting on the stair climber, right? And we talked about this too, is that I tried to do something that was like, it works me but I'm not having that same kind of the pound that you get with the run. Mm-hmm. And the stair climber did that really well for me because it didn't hurt my back. I could stand up straight. So I felt really comfortable and kind of keep my core straight, but I did breathe really hard. Right. So I mm-hmm. knew that I was working hard and kind of helped rebuild that strength. Cause although I had no clinical weakness, it just didn't feel as steady underneath the feet. You know what I mean? And that helped for a sure. lot. What about your approach to weight training? Cause I know you were doing some squats. You were really into muscle building and, really just trying to build up your strength. So how did you modify your approach in that regard? So when I was hurt, right, I still, for the first couple of weeks, I still was going full on without backing off at on weight training, which was not the smartest decision retrospectively, but I thought I had pulled a muscle. And so Mm -hmm. it convinced myself that I'd pulled a muscle. So I thought, hey, I'll just kind of keep doing this. And the funny thing is it didn't hurt at all when I was training. I was deadlifting, I was squatting. I was like, this feels great that afternoon it would hurt. And I would be like, oh, it's not related. It totally was. But the long story short is, is that I backed off a little bit, but now I'm back. I mean, I did deadlifts this morning. I've been a little bit more cautious about how much weight versus 
how many reps I do, right? So I'm still, because I'm almost exactly a year out now for my injury, I'm not back at the same weights that I was, but it's not that I don't think I could lift it. It's just that I'm like, I don't think I need to be as like gung-ho on weight and just kind of, I still do it, right? And so it's definitely enjoyable still. That's a good point. I used to lean a little more on when you're hurt to pull back from exercise in that phase. But in my own work with our own physical therapist here, Tanner Holden, who, uh, again, we did a podcast with him on sacred iliac joint pain. So listen to Tanner. He really taught me about building strength through the pain right. or working around your limitations, but not, I really underestimated how weak we get when we have these acute flare-ups, whether it's your back, your knee, your hip, you just stop moving. And an old like adage in physiatry world is that every day you're immobile that takes two days of exercise to build back mm-hmm. your, what, you, what you lost. And it's such a consequence when you have these acute flare-ups. So I, I think letting go of some of the fear of movement is as much a hurdle as overcome the physical pain. A lot of patients, myself included, and you might've experienced this in the past, when you recover from an injury, there's always just like, oh no, is it gonna happen again if I do X, Y, or Z? And that's a huge psychological hurdle that probably for me, the best way to get over that is working with a wonderful physical therapist. For sure. They can help you break through those fear hurdles when you can't do it on your own. So yeah. that's awesome. Now. One thing to say, I think I learned that too, but I've seen that adage that there's almost no injury that needs rested, right? You need to modify and that's different than resting it, right? So it's not like a sprained ankle where you rest the ankle, but you still keep doing stuff. That's one thing that I kept. I did a ton of upper body stuff. I kept doing stuff. Mm -hmm. And then anything I could do without pain, I just kept doing it, right? I just kept on the stair step or I kept on, and I even got back like rowing, I think. For me, rowing feels great on my back. And so I was getting sure. back into rowing, especially if you do it right. And, you know, if you're watching and you've had an experience like that, put it in the comments about when you've had an injury and some of the things you've done, or it, was it the elliptical? Was it the rower? Was it walking? What helped you stay active while you were on your healing journey? Now, this has been really good. We've covered a lot, I think, from your injury to the different treatments. Let's talk big picture. How did this injury change how you practice and take care of people? I'm a better doctor, for sure. And what I mean by that is that I can sympathize and not empathize, right? So sympathy is when you've experienced the same thing that someone has. So if you're like, hey, you lost a dog, right? And you're like, oh my gosh, that's terrible. I've never lost my dog, but that sounds like a terrible experience versus, hey, I lost my dog. It was hit by a car. And you're like, mine too. I can feel that pain Mm -hmm. in the same raw way that you feel it, right? And that kind of raw emotional pain, right? Because I mean, everything that happens to us is has an emotion to it, right? We're emotional animals. And so we have that kind of raw grit that you're like, I went through that experience, right? And I went through that. I got through that too. And it sucks some days. And I get why, like, sometimes, like, I'll have patients that are like, they're like, I'm not doing right. And you're like, no, you are. This is why you're doing right. And this is what you're feeling. I felt that too. And they're like, you did? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I know what you're feeling. And I'll be like, yeah, it sucks to get out of the car, right? And they're like, yeah. It's really hard. I'm like, yeah, it's hard. It gets better. And I would have to stand on one foot and stand there for about 30 seconds before I could put my weight down. Like, yeah, I get that. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, I feel you. And different than saying, yeah, it can be flexion sensitive. And yeah, it hurts to get out of a car. And you're like, okay, that's very clinical. You know what I mean? And so you can kind of connect in a different way, right? And so 
it's not that I treat people any differently than I ever would. And I always tell people that I treat them like my own family. And so I mean that, but at the same point in time, I can feel that like that struggle and that struggle sometimes is what a lot of people struggle to get over, right? It's not the actual injury. It's that emotional response that you have and that difficulty kind of getting everything in life to work with you because you have to change everything. You have to change everything. Yeah, I think having the injury, it allows you to validate people's concerns on a deeper level and you get a little more credibility. All right, so we've got some, hopefully this has been good for y'all. We've got some comments and questions coming in. Gotten a lot of really positive feedback. Um, just again, some some sympathy for Doctor uh, Cheadle. <laughs> People like your same spot, but um, we had Craig say, "What can possibly be done for severe pain?" The world's hard, right? Because of the narcotic crisis, and it, it's a bad situation. And for me, I felt really strong that I didn't want to let my patients down, so I was absolutely one hundred percent non-narcotic the entire time. So I did Neurontin. I just started that on my first weekend that I was off. I did Neurontin or Gabapentin. And it didn't affect me from a mental standpoint. Some people can make them really tired. I didn't feel that. I did some NSAIDs and then I did prednisone as well. For me, I was lucky enough that I didn't have any significant pain when I was standing and you stand up for surgery. And so I was able to do my job without pain. It was really getting to and from my job and then being at home, like eating dinner or yeah. sitting in church. I remember you said getting yeah. out of a car or sitting in the car. Terrible, yeah, which didn't affect my patient care if it were to the point where I couldn't do my job right and my pain was not under control, sometimes you have to do narcotics. But I really think that yeah. doing non-narcotic therapy is really, really maximize that if at all possible. I push that as hard as I could. No, I definitely agree. Um, so Kim uh, said with my thoracic outlet syndrome, the foam roll helped my neck and arm pain. Yeah, soft tissue work is underrated. Even with lumbar radiculopathies, and for those who aren't scientific, When we say radiculopathy, we're referring to nerve compression syndrome with pain that travels down an extremity with some associated weakness or or numbness. Even with a pain syndrome that we know the origins in the spine, you can get significant benefit through soft tissue work. So a foam roller where you're uh, rolling out your IT band, rolling your hamstrings, using a tennis ball or a small rubber ball to get those deep buttock trigger points. Because what happens is when the nerve is inflamed, all the muscles along the pathway get hyperactive and sensitive. So there is a way to help calm that down. So thanks for that tip. Uh, that's a really good uh, tip that people can use. I did dry needling as well with E-STEM. And yeah. that was, it was yeah. awesome. Someone from Instagram said um, that may not be a realistic option for people with severe pain. Yeah, un- unfortunately, yeah. That's a good point. I mean, if you have a highly sensitive acute pain syndrome, it's probably not going to feel good to be doing deep tissue work on it. That's, I think, where the therapist is helpful too, right? Mm-hmm. They could really assess and they looked at what was going on and, and yeah. it started slow and worked up from there too. Yep. Kathy on Facebook said, is decompression for your neck okay to have before you have a cervical fusion? That depends. I think a lot of that depends on the situation. What is the structural abnormality on your imaging study? How much space is in the spinal canal? Who's doing it? So that's a great question probably to talk to your surgeon or physiatrist about before you engage that. Ken from Facebook said it's been a little over a year since his surgery um, and he's having similar pain again. Should he start PT again? Um, L5S1 surgery. Okay, so the question was about recurrent pain after surgery, a year after. You want to run with that? Yeah. So, I mean, the hard part is, is that unless you had a fusion where you take out all the disc, you can re-herniate those discs again. So 
Physical therapy usually is pretty safe to start. It really depends on your symptoms. The big thing is, is that I was lucky enough not to have significant weakness, bowel or bladder problems, or or really significant numbness. Those are the red flag signs that you really got to look at. And that's when you have to get back into your doctor before you go to physical therapy. If it's just pain, it's pretty safe to start with therapy. But again, I would probably clear that through your treating surgeon. So, yep. All right. We have another um, Instagram uh, viewers that I have the most pain when I wake up in the morning and I go to sleep uh, feeling good. But when I wake up, I'm feeling awful. Are there any suggestions? Um, the pillow between my legs every Okay, I'll repeat the question just in case they can't pick it up from you, Hannah. The, the question was about, or just around the idea that increased pain upon awakening, right? You know, one of the things to consider, at least how I look at this problem, we know that our lumbar discs, they swell a bit at nighttime, they rehydrate. So having that sort of nocturnal pain and that pain upon awakening is fairly common and it does tend to improve as you move about. You know, sleep positioning is key, but there isn't good data on the optimal sleep position. So it depends on the type of disc. Some people actually do well if they sleep on their stomach because the extension helps. Some people do better with the fetal position, the pillow between their legs. Do you have any tips for people on that? I don't know how anybody sleeps not in the fetal position, but that's a different story. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think it depends there too. And you know, the other thing is, is that you're probably not medicated by the time the morning comes too. So you may have taken some anti, you know, some non-steroidals or something like that. And then that's worn off. So that helps there too. Sometimes that I've told patients if they have really bad pain first thing in the morning, I tell them if something like a non-steroidal does help or like a Tylenol Advil, set an alarm, take that 30 minutes before they're supposed to get up. So it kind of has a time to work in. That can be helpful. And then other than that, just try to give yourself enough time in the morning to kind of work through that routine to kind of slowly increase that because it does hurt. Oh man, it hurts. Just a disclaimer again, we are doctors, but we may not be yours. So this is information only and uh, really encourage you to speak with your medical team or come see us at the clinic and we'll be happy to give you some more customized recommendations. All right. So this is awesome. Thanks again for your time. Thank you. I think there's a lot of lessons to be learned. Um, One of the lessons that I've learned is that as much as we like to feel like we're in control, we're really not. <laughs> so particularly in the world today, being willing to roll with things and then be willing to ask for help. And that's what you did. I really commend you on doing that. And I wish you many, many years of healthy spine and healthy, active lifestyle, and long career and, and working together. So thanks for your time. And, thanks, and that's partly to you, Sanjeev. I appreciate you, man. All right, so, buddy. Thank you. Thanks, buddy. Thank you for listening to this episode of Back Talk Doc, brought to you by Carolina Neurosurgery and Spine Associates, with offices in North and South Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about Dr. Lakia and treatment options for back issues, go to backtalkdoc.com. We look forward to having you join us for more insights about back pain and spine health on the next episode of Back Talk Doc. Additional information is also available at carolinaneurosurgery.com.